0: Carmine Galante was especially cunning. Not simply a predator himself, but um, a leader of predators.
1: He was known as the boss of all
2: bosses. He, he was feared by everybody.
1: They were afraid of him. No mess with him. He went from mob underboss to become one of the most prolific drug traffickers in America and came back from jail with even more power. Power that made him enemies. Carmine was stepping up into a position that they didn't want him in. In this Audioboom Original Series, we explore America's criminal underworld to reveal the lives and careers of its greatest gangsters. This series has been extensively researched and produced in consultation with experts, authors, and the people who were actually there. Carmine the Cigar Galante was a mobster who frightened the other Mafia men and one of the most dangerous and notorious heroin traffickers
2: in American history. Uh, Immediately he was in and he took over and there was such uh, uh, an upsurge of heroin uh, coming into the United States. He wanted that control and that was his downfall.
1: This is Mafia Season 2. In 1957, a gathering was held in Palermo, Sicily. It was in honor of a very special guest from America, Joe Bonanno, the powerful boss of the Bonanno clan, one of the five major crime families in New York, former narcotics agent Frank Panessa. He
2: he was, uh, uh, if, if you liken him to the... Uh, uh, the Godfather movies. He was like Don Corleone. When he went to Sicily, he was honored. It was like, you know, the king has returned, and and they showed the greatest respect uh, for Joseph Bonanno when he was there. I mean, the the uh, Sicilian Mafia uh, really treated him like royalty.
1: Traveling with him was his trusted underboss, Carmine Galante.
0: He was a known assassin, and. Um, So he carried a lot of weight in a business where weight counted an awful lot.
1: Galante and Bonanno were meeting with the Sicilian Mafia to discuss the possibility of trafficking heroin into the United States. There, it was decided that Galante would be Bonanno's heroin emissary, setting him on a course he would be on for the rest of his life. I want to tell you about FrameBridge. They make it super easy and affordable to custom frame your favorite things, from art prints to posters to photos on your phone. Here's how it works. First, go to framebridge.com. Then, upload your photo from your computer so you can do it directly from your Instagram feed. If you have a physical item, like ticket stubs, art prints, posters, you name it, They send you secure prepaid packaging so you can mail it in free. You can preview your item online in any frame style, choose your favorite, or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The expert team at FrameBridge will custom frame your item in days, not weeks, not months, and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. The best part, instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, Their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, you, my friends, will get 15% off your first order at Framebridge.com when you use my code, Mafia. Framebridge has thousands of 5-star reviews and even offers a happiness guarantee. If for any reason you aren't 100% satisfied with your order, they'll make it right. I just had them frame a piece of art that my friend made and it looks so good. They did an amazing job. I love looking at it every day. So get started framing your photos and art today. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code MAFIA. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. That's framebridge.com promo code MAFIA. Framebridge.com promo code MAFIA. Carmine Galante's life was not unlike that of many other mobsters of his era. He was born in 1910 in East Harlem after his parents had emigrated from Sicily a few years earlier. Pre-war New York was a tough time for many immigrants. Poverty was everywhere, and gangsters controlled a multitude of businesses through sheer fear and intimidation.
0: Between 1890, In 1920, New York City's population grew by 3 million people.
1: Historian and journalist, Doug Valentine.
0: Um, That's a million people every 10 years. It's at least uh, 5,000 people a month, which is an incredible uh, amount of people pouring into a a small little geographic area. So, New York City was, um, was just bursting at the seams. The people who organized the mafia in the United States were not interested in remaining insular. They were interested in assimilating and they weren't interested in assimilating into, in, in a traditional way by starting out as um, day laborers and working for 30 years to um, uh, put their kids through into, to college or something. The people who organized the mafia were interested in going right to the shop straight to the top, and they grabbed for power in the only place they could, and that was in the rackets. Um, uh, Labor racketeering, extortion, murder, bookmaking, uh, especially bootlegging, and of course, narcotic trafficking. Um, And those things were a lot easier to get involved with in this period of of, um, tremendous expansion that, that New York City was going through at that time.
1: Galante grew up in this crime-centric environment and was not immune from it. He got into trouble from an early age and spent years in and out of prison. He won a reputation for being ruthless, greedy, and callous. Because of this, Galante quickly rose within the ranks of the powerful Bonanno family. Former narcotics agent Frank Panessa.
2: Galante was uh, uh, Bonanno's underboss, and uh, they, they were from the same town in Sicily. And so uh, as underboss, uh, uh, he was uh, in a position that if something happened to the boss, if the boss went to jail, he would take over the family. If the boss was sick, uh, he would be the number one man uh, uh, in the family.
1: Galante's career was built on heroin since that fateful meeting in Palermo. It was a common misconception among the police and public that the mafia never got involved in drugs, that it was beneath them. On the surface, the United States mafiosi put on an honorable and high-class front.
2: In the early 1950s, uh, all five families were involved in uh, heroin trafficking. The five families in New York, um, it is estimated that 35% of the members... We're dealing in heroin, which is uh, quite a large percentage.
0: Within that criminal underworld, the only thing that matters is power and um, the ruthlessness with which power is applied. The whole idea of um, the mafia being men of honor. It, I think it is a a myth that was um, spread by the mafia's public relations department. As far as I could see, there was never any hint
1: of
3: it. Crime author, Thomas Rapetto. Well, if you look at the whole Godfather movie, why so many people liked it at the time is that they they held themselves out as men of honor, men of loyalty, obedient to old traditions the way American society no longer was. But the reality was very different. Drugs promised
1: a massive profit that the mafia wasn't going to miss out on. In the mid-50s, Frank Panessa estimated that a third of the New York families were somehow involved in trafficking narcotics, none more prolifically than the Bonanos.
2: Bonanno family, their percentage was even a little higher. They seemed to be the, uh, the forerunners of the uh, trafficking during that time frame.
0: From the moment that uh, narcotics were illegal, it fell within their realm. And as um, uh, people who controlled crime, they necessarily had to control narcotics as well. So uh, on the surface, they had to get, they were compelled to get involved with narcotics.
1: And Galante's aim was to be at the heart of the action.
0: At that
2: time, in the 1950s, uh, there were approximately 40 to 45 uh, mafia families in Sicily, and they were all involved in, in heroin. Uh, and uh, uh, Galante wanted to be the pipeline to the United States.
1: Drug trafficking was an extremely high-risk activity, while the authorities might turn a blind eye to gambling or loan sharking. Narcotics had always carried a hefty federal prison sentence. But the rewards outweighed the risks, especially if Galante could import the heroin wholesale from Sicily. And so the Mediterranean island became the main hub of the international heroin trade.
2: Well, without a doubt, they were at the crossroads. Uh, majority of the heroin that was coming in Uh, from the, uh, as I say, Turkey and Lebanon and the Golden Crescent, uh, uh, Afghanistan was going through Sicily and smuggled into the United States. The
1: complex international journey of how the heroin made its way to America became commonly known as the French Connection. The opium poppies were grown in Turkey and were then refined into a morphine base, usually in Lebanon. Next, it was transformed chemically into pure heroin in the French port of Marseille, before being shipped on to Sicily. And once it arrived in the U.S., that heroin became hugely profitable. 10 kilos of raw opium could be bought for $350. Once refined into pure heroin, it was worth a 1,000 times
2: that. The largest amount of money that could be made since Prohibition was narcotic trafficking. The millions and billions of dollars and, and, and the uh, appetite that the American addicts had uh, for heroin, uh, that's where the money was going to be made.
1: At the deal in Palermo, known as the Palermo Summit, it was decided that Galante would run all the drug side of the business for Bonanno's family. And from that point on, Galante dominated the heroin trade in the U.S.A. I want to thank this week's sponsor, Lightstream. I think we can all agree that saving money is a good thing. Want to know a super easy way to save? Lower the interest on your credit cards... And the best way to do that is with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. The average interest rate on credit cards is like 17%. With Lightstream, they've got loans from 5.89% APR with AutoPay. And not only that, Mafia listeners can get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. I don't know if you've been to those bank sites where they make you fill out some endless application before you can see what you're getting into. Well, Lightstream doesn't do that. They have a calculator right there that tells you exactly what you need to know before you even get started. They make it really easy. They can even do same-day approval for some loans. Okay, so, how can you get an additional interest rate discount? Don't go to the mafia. No, do go to lightstream.com forward slash mafia. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com forward slash mafia. And here's the fine print subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com For more information, he immediately set about overseeing his new business operation and traveled to Miami, Cuba, Marseille, and Canada. Galante knew Canada especially well. He had spent much of his time in the early 1950s in Montreal, where he had risen to become one of the city's biggest mobsters. Journalist and historian Doug Valentine.
0: Uh, And Joe Bonanno sent him to Montreal to organize the rackets there on behalf of the Bonanno family and one of those rackets is narcotic importation. Narcotics could come into the United States a couple of different ways and Carmine Galante in his role as the narcotic um, uh, commander, the the general in charge of narcotics in the Bonanno family had his... um, was involved in um, bringing narcotics into the United States through a couple of different routes.
1: Galante built a network of contacts and a strong power base in Montreal. And it just so happened, Canada was one of the places where French-connection heroin made landfall in North America.
0: Um, Drugs from Europe and the Middle East would basically go to Halifax and then down to Montreal or to Toronto. From Montreal, it was only a relatively short drive to New York City.
1: Galante set up a sophisticated smuggling operation into the US to get the heroin over the border. Former narcotics agent Frank Panessa explains.
2: They were, they were bringing it in, of course, in cars and in trucks and, and things like that, and it, it was an open border you know it wasn't uh, there wasn't that much control a lot of the major cases were uh in in vehicles and gas tanks were which had uh, you'd take a a 20 gallon gas tank and you'd uh, you'd put in a tank that's only about a gallon just to get the car started and off the pier and the rest of it was filled with uh, uh heroin in that gas tank uh they were uh the heroin was in the doors and things like that.
0: The Galante organization out of Montreal brought in an estimated 600 kilograms of heroin a year.
1: Galante didn't just operate out of Canada because it was good for business. It was also a good place to hide. In the United States, Galante was a well-known face to the FBI. In fact, the FBI had been tracking him for years. His file said, quote, he should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. They knew he was one of the top mobsters in the country, and he had an impressive rap sheet to go with his reputation. In 1930, he did time in Sing Sing prison for shooting at a police detective. In the 40s, he had allegedly carried out hits for the Luciano crime family and was suspected by the New York Police Department in multiple homicides. And in 1943, he was implicated in the murder of a dissident Italian journalist. Here's crime author, Thomas Rapetto.
3: Back in the 1940s, when he was younger, he was suspected of killing a man named Carlo Tresca. Uh, Carlo Tresca, that was a very sensational case. A lot of prominent people, very high-ranking Americans were interested in that case. Galante was never
1: indicted in that case. There were no witnesses. But his narcotics trafficking had now drawn the attention of yet another law enforcement agency, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. The FBN was a small agency, but powerful, and focused on targeting opium and heroin smuggling around the globe. The Bureau was successful in setting up overseas offices and lobbying harsh penalties against drugs. But they had their own internal problems. The FBN and the FBI were supposed to get along, but instead, there was a bitter rivalry between them. Journalist Doug Valentine and former narcotics agent Frank Panessa explain.
0: The Federal Bureau of Investigations was a much bigger organization than the Bureau of Narcotics, it had ten times as many agents. It had a. um a budget that was at least 10 times as great, if not greater, than the Bureau of Narcotics. Uh,
2: The FBN was a federal agency that was responsible uh, for the uh, enforcement of all the narcotic laws. Originally, uh, FBN was in the Department of the Treasury because the narcotics laws were based on taxes that you had to pay a tax if you were distributing certain things.
0: One of the most interesting, but probably least known, aspects of um, uh, federal law enforcement is, is, this, um, is a battle between J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, and an individual named Harry Anslinger, who ran the Bureau of Narcotics from 1930 to 1962. Anslinger was the commissioner of narcotics for 32 years, longer than anybody else held a position, such a position in the government, other than J. Edgar Hoover.
1: The rivalry between Hoover and Anslinger was both professional and personal. The two leaders despised each other. But when it came to targeting the mob, the FBN was far more effective than its investigator
0: rivals. It was said of the Bureau of Narcotics that, of all the law enforcement agencies in the United States, it was the only one that seemed to know everything the Mafia was doing the minute it did it. And it was based largely on the fact that it had been compiling data on each and every Mafioso, including Carma and Galanti, since 1930.
1: The FBN also had a better conviction rate than the FBI, with a powerful weapon at its disposal, the draconian 1956 Narcotics Control Act, the start of mandatory minimum sentencing for drug
2: offenders. Narcotics Control Act of 1956, which mandated that anybody uh, dealing uh, in in heroin uh, could get mandatory sentences up to 40 years
0: This was unlike any other country in the world, in Italy or France. People who were arrested um, for the same quantities of narcotics might serve two or three years in prison. So there were not the incentives for um, other nationalities to to stop uh, importing, exporting narcotics to the
1: United States. The FBN began to actively target Galante and soon had an opening. In the late 1950s, Galante was deported from Canada and forced to hide in the United States. In 1959, he was pulled over on the New Jersey Turnpike and the FBN swept in immediately, arresting him on charges of drug trafficking. After a long and complicated mistrial, then a second trial, he got 20 years in prison, first at Alcatraz and then in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania.
2: It seemed his reign was over. for Galante to get so many years in prison, I mean, it was a blow to him. Uh, here, he, he he saw that the millions of dollars that could be made and uh, g- getting this jail sentence uh, it must have really affected him.
1: Few mobsters could rise again from such a long stretch behind bars, but Galante wasn't just any mobster. If anything, Jail time only hardened his ambitions. He was still determined to lead his mob family, so he started thinking about how to stage a comeback, and the cornerstone would be heroin.
2: He did uh, manage to stay involved in it, even from prison. He, he kept his contacts. His family, uh, the uh, members of the Bonanno family, never stopped heroin trafficking. Uh, They continued to do the trafficking. So it was just a matter of when he got out, he was going to make sure that he controlled it all.
0: Certainly had influence over the Bonanno family from prison.
2: He had established all his contacts back in the 1950s uh, in in Sicily. He established his uh, contacts in Canada.
1: Sitting in his prison cell, he started to nurture an idea In order to take over his crime family, he would need massive amounts of money. Being just one of many heroin importers wouldn't be enough. He needed to become the sole wholesale supplier of heroin into the USA.
2: He wanted to control that that spigot, and he could open it and close it uh, when he wanted, where he could turn it on and off and, and control the price. So it was just a matter of what. when he got out, he was going to make sure that he controlled it all.
1: Do you guys know about Harry's? You must know about Harry's. It makes me so happy to have them as a sponsor because I'm already a loyal customer. Harry's is hands down the best shaving experience I've ever had. It's like if Apple designed a razor, even the packaging is cool. The founders of Harry's were tired of overpriced razors that didn't work. Who isn't, right? So they decided to do something about it. They bought a razor factory. This place had been making some of the highest quality blades for over 90 years. Who thinks of that? Then they sell directly online. So instead of $4 or more a blade like the other brands, it's just $2 a blade for Harry's. And they're better. They are, but you don't have to believe me. They've got a full 30-day guarantee, full refund if you're not happy, and they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision, so they created a special offer for us, a trial shaving set. Listeners of Mafia can redeem their trial set at harrys.com forward slash M-O-B. It comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. It's a great deal. harrys.com forward slash M-O-B. Once more, make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash M-O-B to redeem your offer to help support the show. Meanwhile, out on the streets of New York City, things were set in motion that conspired to help his plan. Heroin was becoming ever more popular. The
2: heroin use was on, on the uprise, and it continued to be that way because there was so much of it. And the price was right because there was so much of it. In the streets of New York,
1: heroin was now the drug of choice, and local law enforcement just couldn't understand how the supply kept growing, as former NYPD
4: detective Bill Clark explains. We really weren't hip to just the whole drug trafficking thing, where it was coming from and how behind it the Mafia was. We didn't realize the hand that the Mafia played in it. And uh, as time went on, we realized how far behind it they were, including Carmine Galante, who apparently set up the whole French Connection thing.
1: The number of addicts had boomed from 50,000 at the time of Galante's arrest to 500,000. Politicians attempted to stem the tide, but they failed. Heroin started to have a devastating effect on many of its users and
4: the communities they lived in. It destroyed a lot of lives, and when I first became a policeman, heroin was the drug of choice, if you will, and it was very few working-class neighborhoods that weren't losing their sons or or daughters to heroin trafficking and uh, to
2: heroin use. Well, uh, the addicts, course, are the end products of it, and, and you take an addict who had an average habit of uh, one or two hundred dollars a day, think of all the stuff he has to rob and all the muggings and, and, and robberies, and that had a severe effect on uh, what was going on in the United States. The millions of dollars that were, were, were being made, it, it was astronomical. Uh, in, in the one little cell that I was involved in, uh, we were bringing in a million dollars a day. You know, it's $350 million a year. It's, it's larger than most uh, Fortune 500 uh, corporations. So uh, the money was unbelievable.
4: Any time there's a big pool of money around, somebody's going to try to get into it. The desire to control the flow of
1: heroin and seize the vast profits created turmoil among the Mafia families. And so wheels began to turn that moved along Galante's plan.
0: While he was in prison, there was a rebellion within the Bonanno family, and um, it was largely over narcotics.
1: Joe Bonanno was forced by his fellows to retire after plotting and failing to kill some of his mafia rivals. Many of the capos, or captains under him, retired as well, or were killed. And then the Bonanos went to war with the other families as they tried to install their own ineffectual leaders. In the chaos, a power vacuum opened up. Galante began to concoct even bolder plans. He wouldn't just take over his own family. He would also take on the biggest family in New York, the Gambinos. Carlo Gambino had built up his family into the city's toughest clan with the most profitable rackets and the deadliest killers. Galante decided he would crush the Gambinos and one day become the head of all the mafia, the capo di tutti capi, or boss of all bosses. With unseen forces working in his favor, Galante knew he could realize his plan, if only he could get out of prison, and then right in the middle of the heroin craze his wish was granted. In early 1974, Carmine Galante was paroled. In the next episode, Carmine Galante turned his plan into action after he left prison. He aggressively and ruthlessly took over the heroin trade.
2: Uh, Immediately, he was in. And he took over, and there was such uh, uh, an upsurge of heroin uh, coming into the United States. There wasn't any drought.
3: And stopped nothing in his quest to become the boss of all bosses. There's certain kinds of intelligence that help you get through Harvard, and there are certain kinds of intelligence that help you run a mob in New York City. And if a man can become a mob leader in New York City, He's got that kind of intelligence. And we discover how even the most
1: feared of all mafia bosses wasn't safe from his own kind.
4: Carmine was stepping up into a position that he was not gonna be, they didn't want him in. Oh, I think it was just the question of that he was not the kind of person that they wanted in that powerful position. And the only way to, to prevent him from taking over was to kill
1: him. This has been an Audio Boom and World Media Rights co-production, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Audio Booms Ben Hosley and Rachel Jacobs and Bettina Vasquez for World Media Rights. We had editing help from David Markowitz, with additional production from World Media Rights by Gerald Zabingua. David McNabb is the series creative director. And the executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Reagan and Stuart Last. Thanks to Framebridge, Lightstream, and Harry's for sponsoring this episode. Follow Mafia on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.